right. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. What a great song that is. We are in 2 Chronicles today. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. You say, Pastor, where is 2 Chronicles? Is right after 1 Chronicles, all right? I helped to you, aren't I? 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament chapter 1. And uh, we will uh, look at some uh, text today and hopefully uh, challenge you with the Word of God. I have in my hand here a blank check. I don't know if you've ever gotten in your life a blank check. Fill in any amount you want. But it's all ready to go. It's signed uh, and it's dated. And all you have to do is write in your name and the amount uh, what you uh, think that it should be worth. So two considerations when you get a blank check. I don't know how, I don't know who has. I never gotten one myself, but if you were to get a blank check, there are two considerations that you would have to make. Before you fill in the amount, what are you worth? What is the, what is the appropriate amount to write in? Uh, even more importantly, what am I worth? Amen? Because that's a big part of writing, filling in a blank check. Uh, what is the person that's writing the check worth? Now, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you're a preacher, <laughs> and... Uh, you have eight children, you're married to a grandma who just had a granddaughter and another one had a birthday, uh, you're right, there, you probably write in, you know, $25, you might be safe, whatever the case might be. If Bill Gates wrote you a blank check, it'd be a different look than mine would, amen? You follow what I'm saying? All right, so depending on who gives it is a big part on what amount you would write in. Today we look at a young man uh, who was, in fact, I have to, Pastor Forsberg scares me, so I'm going to tear that up, just in case he gets a hold of that. Uh, but we're going to look at a young man who was given a blank check, essentially, by someone who would make Bill Gates look like a lightweight. Let's read about it. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse number 7. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what I shall give thee. Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise <coughs> unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before thy, this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because thou, this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet ask for long life, but as ask wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee. I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had, have before, been before thee, neither shall there after thee have the light. <coughs> I want to preach today for a few minutes. A couple of weeks ago, we preached on hat. Hand over your body. Today we're going to preach on hand over your itinerary as we talk about being found faithful to the Lord. Father, I pray you'd bless the reading of your word. Help us to find ourselves in this passage and in the other scriptures that we'll read today and apply them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have here Solomon. We understand his father David had reigned 40 years, had started when he was around 30 years old and reigned until he was 70. David had made it clear that Solomon would be the one to succeed him. Now, there were others that wanted the throne. 
when you have a position like that, uh, people will fight for it. And others did try to fight for that throne. But the choice of Solomon was made clear from God to David and from David to the people. In First Chronicles 29, David made it public. Uh, verse 1, he is talking to the congregation. Now, Adonijah, which is David's son, also wanted the throne, and he wanted that job and tried to make it happen, but it ended in abject failure. Uh, I think back to Jonathan. Remember when David was promised, uh, was crowned the next king, or, or anointed the next king of Israel? Uh, Jonathan, who, humanly speaking, should have gotten the throne, uh, completely uh, gave over to God's will, said, it's the Lord's will for you, and he supported it, did not demand his own way. Not so with Adonijah. Adonijah wanted it, tried to get it, wanted to insert himself. And I, I would say this morning that whenever we try to wedge ourselves into where God does not want us, it always ends in disaster. So what was God's response to all this? We see one of the things that God did in First Chronicles 29, 25, the Bible says, and the Lord magnified Solomon. Now we saw recently that this is the same thing that happened in Joshua's life. Uh, this does not mean that God changed Solomon. It says he magnified Solomon. Uh, rather, uh, and the same with Joshua. They were who they were, and then God made them evident to the people that they were over. Uh, I was recently at a, an antique store, and I found a really interesting old revolver, and I wanted to look at it. It was behind one of those glass cases, and so the lady came over and unlocked it for me, and I was looking at this this uh, antique pistol, and, and uh, I was, it was a sunny day, and a lot of times I wear my sunglasses, I leave my glasses in the car, and uh, so they were not on my person. I was trying to read these, you know how it goes, as, you, as you're trying to read it, and, and I couldn't quite make the uh, words out. And this lady had the audacity to hand me a magnifying glass. There is nothing that makes you feel your age like when somebody hands you a magnifying glass. And uh, so it was, it was a little bit insulted. I mean, who does, who does she think I am? You know, there's, uh, I won't name names. But uh, anyway, I, I took them from her and looked, and I was able to read everything on the barrel of that gun. Now, what the magnifying glass did was not change anything that was on the barrel. You understand that. It just made it visible to me. It magnified the words that were already there. Now, when God magnifies someone like he did Solomon, it means that he took the character that Solomon already had and he made it visible for everyone to see. And when God magnifies somebody, that's exactly what he does. Preparation comes before promotion. That is why that our focus in our life ought to be much more on being found faithful in our preparation and let God take care of the promotion in our life. You want God to magnify you? Be something worth magnifying. Solomon was. God magnified him. God will do it when he deems it time, when you are ready. When God magnifies you, he is making evident the character in you that's already there. Amen? So let's be that person. For Solomon, God made it evident to the people that he was God's man. Now, when David is dead, Solomon is supposed to take over. Verse 1, the Bible says that he, the Lord magnified him exceedingly. Now, in gratitude for that, Solomon, in verses 1 through 6, went, and, went to Gibeon and offered God a thousand burnt offerings as a sacrifice. Now, Solomon went all out. That's a lot of burnt offerings. 
He offered a thousand burnt offerings. That is some worship. So let's look at the timeline. God magnifies Solomon. Solomon in turn uh, responds by giving God a thousand offerings. What he's basically doing is really magnifying God. You see, the, the response to God magnifying us ought to be that we magnify God. That's the, that's the response that we ought to have. So we see how Solomon responded to God. How did God respond to Solomon? So God magnified Solomon. Solomon gave him a, hundred, a thousand burnt offerings. Uh, is, is that something God was pleased with? Well, look in verse 7. In that night, basically God asked the question, ask what I shall give thee. I want to focus on that question for just a moment. Solomon is 20 years old at this time. How many 20-year-olds do you know with which that would be a safe question? Name me anything you want, and you can have it. What, what kind of an answer would you have given at 20 years of age? 20 years old, and he's handed a blank check. Uh, this, by the way, this, is, this, or this uh, opportunity is given from Genesis 14, 19. says that God is the possessor of heaven and earth. He could have given anything. How many of us would answer with our own earthly desires? You could say that this question was a test. Your character appears in your choices and your desires. What do you want is just as revealing as what do you do. And so, it's a good idea for us to pause at a time like this and ask ourselves the question, what would I ask for? If uh, God himself, from heaven, asked, give us anything you want, what would you ask for? That's revealing. It's revealing of your character. It's a revealing thing about your person. God gave Solomon a rare opportunity, and Solomon did not waste his opportunity. Before we get into his request, let's look at verse number 8. Thou hast shown great mercy unto David, and made me to reign in his stead. Here we see thanksgiving and appreciation. Listen, if we want to get things from God, we need to learn to be thankful for what he has done for us. Solomon approached God, and he did so with a thankful heart. Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Are we thankful? Are you a thankful person? We ought to be thankful. I talked to one of our ladies last week who lost uh, her job of over, over a decade. And I was trying to, I just called her to be an encouragement to her and try to console her a little bit. And she floored me with one of the things she said in our conversation. She said, I thanked God for it. That's a spiritually mature response to something like that happening. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks. Now, that doesn't mean I understand it. It doesn't mean I have to understand it. We can still be thankful for what God allows in our life. Here's a question. For what, after Solomon was thankful, after the request was made, what did he ask for? Now, don't look. Don't cheat. If we were to ask you the question right now, let's just say I was to pass out note cards and a pen right now. and We'd ask, what did Solomon ask for when God gave him this choice? we would probably all write down wisdom. We've, we've learned it. We've talked about it. We've seen it. We've, all our life, we've looked at this story, and we know that Solomon asked for wisdom. 
And is that right? It is. It's, it's half right. We're going to look at the other half in a minute. But wisdom is one of the things Solomon asked for, and what a thing to ask for. There's great priority in the Bible given to wisdom. In Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Principal thing means the main thing, the priority. The top priority in our life ought to be wisdom. Now, what does this mean then? This means that we need wisdom more than we need an education. We need wisdom more than we need a good career. We need wisdom more than we need a nice house. We need wisdom. The Bible says it ought to be the principal thing in our lives. Wisdom is greater than monetary power. Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding, for the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. Do we treat wisdom like that? When an armored truck drives by, I don't know about you, but they sort of fascinate me. I always take notice when an armored truck drives by. Armored truck officers have the second highest death rate in security. Uh, The walls and the floors, the ceilings and the doors of an armored truck are all made from reinforced steel. The steel is hardened to increase bullet resistance. A ballistic fiberglass cloth is used to line the interior of uh, of the truck, of the armored truck. The windows of the truck are layers of glass mixed with layers of bullet-resistant optic plastic. Now, why go to all the trouble to make a truck like that? Because what's in that truck, to most people, is the principal thing in this world today. That's what is the principal thing in most people's lives. Now, I wonder today if there was a truck of wisdom rolling down the road. How many guards would it need? How many times would that truck be stormed? Amen? We're not, we don't prioritize wisdom as we should. It is a great day in a Christian's life when he begins to want wisdom more than anything else. And this was Solomon in that moment. He did just that, and we'll see God honored it. Wisdom is greater than monetary power. Wisdom is greater than military power. Ecclesiastes 9.16, then it said, I, wisdom is better than strength. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, uh, but one sinner destroyeth much good. In any war, it is not only the strongest arsenal, but the greatest intelligence that wins the battle. One general said this, history repeatedly has demonstrated that inferior forces can win when leaders are armed with accurate intelligence. Now, friend, you and I, as a Christian, are in a war every day of our lives. The Bible says our flesh and our spirit warreth within us. It entangleth itself. And so we have this battle. What do we need in our battle against the prince and the power of the air? We need wisdom. We need the Bible wisdom in our life. Would to God that every Christian would make this a daily prayer, a prayer for wisdom. Wisdom is greater than monetary power. Wisdom is greater than military power. Wisdom is greater than mental power. Proverbs 4.4, He taught me also and said unto me, Let mine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Back to, if we go to James chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Who is the wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. In the Bible, whenever wisdom and knowledge are mentioned, wisdom is always first. 
Wisdom is the primary thing. Knowledge can be dangerous, <laughs> can't it? Smart people can do monumentally stupid things. We see that all around us. Sometimes people think they're a lot smarter than they really are. You ever met anybody like that? Did you know there's a term for it? It's a condition. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a mental perception in which people believe they are smarter and more talented than they really are. The idea that people do not possess the skills within themselves to recognize their own incompetence. Probably 50% of the people in here just got a mental picture of somebody that you know. It's a scientific term that names a problem we all recognize. Fools are blind to their own foolishness. Probably you've experienced this when your family gets together for holidays. There's that one uncle or cousin. And they will begin spouting off on a topic. He goes on about how he is right. Everyone else's opinion is stupid. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone in the room who's listening knows he has no idea what he's talking about except him. And he continues on. He prattles on oblivious to his own ignorance. You ever notice that ignorance produces more confidence than knowledge does? What am I saying with this example? Get wisdom. Put a greater priority on wisdom than on knowledge. We have degrees available online today. I'm not against it, but people can go online, never leave the house, and get a college degree. And we're bestowing these degrees on people that, uh, who have a problem getting dressed, getting out of the home, and having normal human relationships with other people. Not saying that's always the case, but I'm simply saying here, life behooves us to get wisdom, not only knowledge. There has never been a time in human history when more knowledge has existed than right now, and yet have we not, uh, are we not able to see more foolishness as well? Why? Because there's no wisdom. A lot of knowledge, not much wisdom. Solomon recognized this. Now, by the way, all this doesn't mean that knowledge should be avoided, but it only means that when we have knowledge, it must be accompanied by wisdom. Knowledge is important. But it always fails when it's not linked to wisdom. Someone put it this way. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Amen? Wisdom gives you the ability to rightly apply the knowledge that you've been given. Knowledge is worthless. It's even dangerous without wisdom holding its hand and directing it. There's a big, big difference between being smart and being wise. So Solomon recognized that. And he says, I'm, I need wisdom. i got to have wisdom. You can have knowledge without wisdom, but a man with wisdom will always get knowledge. A great definition of wisdom is the ability to apply Bible truths to all life's situations. You can't apply truth you haven't learned. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There is no excuse for spiritual ignorance today. We have the word of God. You have it in your lap. You have it in your home. You have it on your phone. You have it on your computer. Your phone and computer will even read it to you in the language of your choice. 
well, the Word of God is presented from this pulpit several times a week, and, and uh, you have more access to good books and internet material than has ever been available before. We need to fill our minds with knowledge and then ask, ask God for the wisdom to correctly apply it. Here's the difference between the two. One of the differences, knowledge is learned. Wisdom is given. Back to James. The Bible says in James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. I love that verse. We, we, we all lack wisdom, don't we? Just ask. How many of times are we in need of wisdom? Got somebody who will give it liberally, and we just don't ask. Why? Because in our own pride, we think we've got it figured out. That's just, it, it's, a, it's a common problem to every one of us. It's hard to ask for help. We need to learn. And, and Solomon did. Man, he is a, he's a prince. He's, I'm no doubt, educated by the best minds of the day as the king's son. And he says, I'm woefully in need of wisdom, as we all are. You say, well, I'll get wisdom on my own. I don't need God. I, I really believe this, and this is going to be controversial maybe to hear it by some, but I don't believe until you're saved you can have wisdom. Here's what the Bible says many times, but I'll give you one, Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it begins. Oh, you can have a lot of knowledge. Without God, you're not going to have wisdom. It's just going to be that, knowledge. Now, back to our text. <clears throat> something fascinating here that I want to look at. Yes, Solomon did ask for wisdom and knowledge. That's true, but there's something else that he mentioned first that I would like to point out. We often skip over this, and I have all my life, so if you have up until now, don't feel bad. I've only saw this recently. It was brought to my attention. I was studying through this. Read verse 8 and 9 here with me. And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and has, and has me, made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now, we have to jump back a little bit to get the setting, what he's talking about here years before in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You read that chapter in your Bible, you'll find David. He's basically lounging around his house and he's talking to his friend Nathan the prophet. As they're talking, David starts to look around at where he lives, and he says to Nathan, you know what, it's not fair, Nathan. It's not right. I live in this house of cedar. I have all the opulence and the comfort that can be afforded, and I live in, in luxury, but yet the house of God, as he put it, is curtains, or was just a tent. I want, he said, to build God a house. That's a noble endeavor, isn't it? And so did Nathan think. Nathan said, David, sounds like a great idea. His exact words in Scripture were, go do all that is in thine heart. But then God came to Nathan that night. He said, wait a second. I never said for him to build a house. I never instructed him that he should. And not that this was a bad desire. Long story short, Nathan made it, God made it clear to Nathan and then Nathan to David that David would not build that house. Verse 12 and 13 of 2 Samuel 7, he tells him that after he would die, his seed or his son would build the house for my name. That's what God said. 
Hey, by the way, it's a good thing what David wanted. That's an honorable thing. But God simply said, you're not the one to do it. David, it may be in your itinerary, but it's not in my itinerary for you. So he held David off. Solomon understood that. So when God asked Solomon the big question, there's no foolishness in Solomon's mind. What a blessing that is. 20 years old, and he doesn't rattle off a bunch of a wish list. There's no foolishness in mind. Here's a 20-year-old who's saying, God, you made a promise to my father. The plan uh, the, to build your house, what he's referring to here, all I want to do is a part of your plan. In other words, Solomon is not pushing his own agenda here, his own itinerary. He has none. Rather, he's coming to God and asking, I want to be a part of your plan. That, friend, is impressive. Because so often... Well, let me just put it a different way. God came to him, ask what you will. Solomon essentially says this, I don't will anything. I don't have any purpose apart from your purpose. All I ask is that you fulfill, or that I fulfill my part in your purpose. Here we are today, as we encounter the Christian life, we so often do it as consultants. I've learned as a pastor that the church is full of consultants. A lot of people are there to consult the way that God's work ought to be done. We have an agenda. We have the program. We have the answers. We have the plan. By the way, I'm for it. I believe a church ought to have a plan. I believe a church ought to have a vision. I think that there ought to be plans moving forward and, and themes and all these different things. But we are not out, don't miss this, to get God to join our itinerary, we are to get on board with His. Say, preacher, can you give me a practical application to this? I'm glad you asked, because I happen to have one. And I've talked about this before, and I'll talk about this again, because it's a great lesson in my life, and I think it's a help to all of us. Fall of 2018. Started to pray about what our theme would be for 2019, what our focus would be. And there was a verse I couldn't get away from, First Chronicles 4.10, and Jabez calling the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou would bless me indeed and enlarge my coast. There it was. That was my desire for me. It was our desire for our church. Here we were. We're packing out the place every Sunday, and we had a second bus route and, and uh, running weekly, and we already were in talks about thinking about expanding again and uh, second time in three years. In fact, in early 2019, we would approve the drawing up of plans and just to see if uh, that would be God's will for us going forward. The church had grown, but we wanted more. We wanted God to continue to enlarge our coast. That meant for me personally that I, my desire was that God would enlarge my coast personally and professionally as our ministry would expand. Well, the year began with the loss of one of our dearest ladies, a shock to all of us, then in my own family. Uh, we took another hit with my daughter, making some choices, that decisions that broke our heart. Uh, there's no greater temptation to compromise than when it comes to your own children. And it didn't stop there. What followed was a hard year for Bible Baptist Church. We had some church trouble, at the end of which we lost some families. And, and uh, when you do so much work to bring people in, it's, it's devastating when people leave. So we come to the fall of 2019. What would be the theme for that 
year, this year that we're in now, I felt God encouraging my heart to stay faithful. And faithfulness was just on my mind and my heart. I felt led to use the verse, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And we started to put a focus on being found faithful. I did a whole sermon series on it. And, and uh, specifically, my, one of my focuses was going to be that we would make much of church attendance. And I did. Talked about it a lot. Three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I believe it's important. I made more phone calls. I upped my game on trying to encourage people to come out and to be faithful. Then on March 19th of this year, I did the unthinkable. Sent out a letter to every member asking them not to come to church. No, never would I ever have dreamed I would be doing that in the ministry. So what in the world is going on then? You have God's plan versus my plan. You ever had your plan come up against God's plan and they're different? Even though your plan was genius, amen? I mean, you can have the best plan in the world. Sometimes God says, no, just like David did. Hey, Lord, I want to build you a house. I shouldn't live in a better house than what you have. I want to build you on a great house. Great plan. God says, nope, don't want you to do that. Now, I will say, and I'm confident, that it is right and proper to set goals and to set themes and to set a focus. I don't believe that that was a mistake. But we had better come to the point in our life that our plans do not trump God's purpose. So, were all those goals a mistake? I don't believe so for a minute. I believe God did enlarge our coast. The Bible says in Psalm 4.1, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. God enlarges us more than one way. One way we like, one way we don't. But He still enlarges us. He just didn't do it the way I planned. And, and for this year, I think that God put us in a prime place this year to demonstrate that we can still be found faithful. Those weeks... When we were not meeting, I, I got no problem telling you, it is hard for a pastor when we're not meeting. I know it's hard on many of you too. And for Pastor Forsberg and I both, it was difficult. But we saw people step up. We saw people get involved in doing work around the church that needed to be done and saw people uh, volunteer their time and their resources. Almost daily, as we get the mail and see uh, faithfully people giving and sending their tithe checks in the mail and, uh, or bringing them by the, <coughs> the church building was even better. Phone calls. By the way, that's not because I'm greedy for your money, but for your faithfulness. That's a blessing. To see our people continue to be faithful even though we're not meeting together. That was a blessing. Phone calls, texts, letters. You can't imagine. Some uh, sent letters with their their tithe checks. What a blessing. What an encouragement. And uh, you can't imagine what that does as we do that for one another. You see, we could still be found faithful. It just looked different than what I had planned it to look like. I'm asking you today, friend, are you willing to lay aside your itinerary? You've got plans. You've got, this is how it's going to work out. This is what I want to do. And it might be good things. Are you willing to hand it over and let God have it? David did not want a bad thing. He wanted a good thing. But God said, nope, that's not my plan for you, David. 
Solomon said, when God said, you can have anything you want, Solomon, his first thing out of his mouth was, I just want to be a part of that plan. I want to be part of your plan, God. I want to be part of your purpose. I want to play my role, whatever that may be. That is the humble attitude that we need to display in our life. God, whatever your agenda is, you let me in on it. I want to be a part of it. I'm not making you fit my plan. I want to fit your plan. Can we say that? It's hard to say because, and there's nobody here but us, we can be honest, God's plan doesn't look as good as ours sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes my plan looks better than God's plan. But His is better, I promise you, <laughs> in the long run. So, if we will get on board with God and His itinerary and His agenda, whose wisdom will get the job done? God's wisdom. That's why Solomon followed that up with, and God, I need wisdom. I want to be a part of your plan. I want to be a part of your itinerary. I want to be a part of your program. And if I'm going to do that, I desperately need wisdom. I need your wisdom. And it led Solomon to ask that question next. Give me now wisdom and knowledge. He just got done being a teenager. What a good answer. He says, I can't judge these people. I can't lead all these people that you have without wisdom. The truth is, friend, you're just as powerless to do God's agenda in your life than Solomon was. We need God's wisdom. We must have it. So what's the end of the story? Solomon received not only his request, but also he got wealth and riches and honor. Chapter 29, verse 25, the Bible says, And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. And we also see in chapter 1 here, never one would come after equal to Solomon. God gave Solomon the equivalent of a blank check, and Solomon did the honorable thing. He didn't ask selfishly, he asked spiritually. And then God said, I'm not only going to give you what you asked for, Solomon, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Why? Because Solomon was willing to set himself aside, set his plans aside, set his itinerary aside, just hand it over to the Lord, and say, God, I'm yours. Boy, I'd like to be a part of your plan, Lord. That's what I'd like. Give me wisdom. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If we could get our eyes off of our program, off of our agenda, and simply let God have it, not only would he grant our desires, Psalm 37.4, delight thyself also in the Lord, shall he give the desires of thine heart, but he'll go so far beyond your imagination. Now, will it mean that it always works out according to your plan? A thousand times, no. But is his way better than your plan? A thousand times, yes. Every time. We've got to be willing. We've got to be willing to just step back. And David had a noble goal. God says, no, not for you. Somebody else will do it. Solomon wanted in. What is more important today, your plans or God's plans for you? We've got to get onto God's program, amen? Let's, hey, that doesn't mean you keep, look, next year we're going to have another theme. It might be I give up. I don't know what next year's theme is going to be. 
But we're going to have another theme. We're going to have another focus. We're going to work toward a goal, right? We better be willing to say, God, I, I'm secondary to you. This is what we like to do. But God has already demonstrated he can take our plans. Somebody said, if you really want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? He can take our plans and do whatever he wants with it. We just got to be willing. That's been one of my hardest. I can tell you just in, in full honesty before you today, it's one of the hardest things for me to do as a pastor, to not feel like it's failure, to look back and see, you know what, Lord, Lord is doing things, and I'm not in control here. I can't be in control. I don't, truth is, at the end of the day, I don't want to be in control. But yet, all the time, we act like we want to be in control. But we better step back. Listen, friend, for your family, you should not want to be in control. You let God be in control of your family. You let God can be in control of your church. We've got to give over our itinerary, our plans. Father, we thank you for this day, this passage.